Welcome to the very first episode of the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. I am B-Rob, um, and on this podcast, we're going to be discussing sports, sports gambling, movies, TV, really anything you can think of, anything we want to talk about. Um, I will be here every episode, and I'll be joined by various guests, some of my friends, my dad, and whoever else we can talk to, um, have interesting conversations, and talk about how much money we lose each week betting on the NFL. Um, speaking of the NFL today, we are going to start with just a quick little recap. I'm going to run through the NFL games from week five, and then later in the episode, we are going to debut a new segment. Well, it's obviously new because it's the first episode, but we're going to be going over a battle a week with our resident historian, my father. And that may sound weird, but basically what we're going to do is we're going to break down war battles, essentially, throughout history, which you may not know that much about, but you might be surprised to find out it's pretty interesting. So um, stay tuned for that. We'll have that later in the episode. But right now, let's jump in to NFL Week 5. A very interesting week. Um, a lot of fantasy points scored, some big performances. We can talk a little bit about the Thursday night game. The Rams, that's a big loss. See, they, they fall to 3-2 and two after the unfortunate loss last in Week 4 against the Buccaneers. Unfortunately, I bet on the Rams both weeks, but that's besides the point. Um, and when you look at the rest of the NFC West... Surprisingly really good. You got Seattle, who's 4-1 and one now after that big victory against the Rams on Thursday night. And then you have the Niners, who are sitting at 3-0 and right now, who are going to kick off in about five hours against the Browns on Monday Night Football. And they are favored in that game. I do like the Niners in that game, so this will be a really good test for the Niners. See if they can stop turning the ball over. Um, really see Jimmy G get into a groove in that offense against a quality team. Because I don't think the Niners have played anyone really that special this year so I'm excited to see that um and I mean the big thing for the 49ers this year for me has been their defense looks just way better than I thought it was gonna be so I think that does give them a chance and those three teams at the top of the NFC West all could make the playoffs I think because I don't want to count out the Rams I know they're three and two but I think Sean McVay is an unbelievable coach and I just do not see the Rams missing the playoffs but um probably only two of the teams will make the playoffs when you look at the NFC, because you got Philly and Dallas in the NFC East, so you would assume one of those teams is going to make it, unless the Cowboys are really falling apart, because they lost to the Packers yesterday, and they didn't look very good. And their only wins this year are against below-average teams. You had them beat the Giants, the Dolphins, and the Redskins. And so the Cowboys could have answered a lot of questions against the Packers this weekend, but they didn't. They looked like the typical Cowboys, the Chargers of the NFC. They blew it. They started slow, a little too late. And now Philly is tied with them after kind of a slow start. And so that division is going to be up for grabs as well as the NFC North. So the NFC is kind of stacked. So it'll be really interesting to see how that all shakes out. Um, looking at the other games, we had the Bears-Raiders game in London, which started out 17 nothing, and then the Raiders just went full Raiders on us and almost blew that game. Um, but Derek Carr with, I believe, a 97-yard drive to clinch the game, and the Bears just have no offense. Their defense is amazing, but you can't expect your defense to give up 10 points a game. It's just un it's unrealistic. And maybe they do need Trubisky back because I think he has a higher ceiling than Chase Daniels, but, I mean, the Bears have got to figure that out because they're wasting an all-time defense. Um, and then quickly going through some of the other games, we had the Saints-Bucks. This was one of my best bets on thepineapplecouch.com. 
Um, Saints win 31-24. It was a minus three spread. Loved that. Teddy Bridgewater looked good. The Saints defense continues to look good. And the Buccaneers did not play as bad as I thought they would be. I actually thought this would be – I thought the minus three was kind of generous. I thought the Saints were going to maybe win by like 10 to 15, but seven-point game. Bucks aren't as bad as I thought they were. Giants take care of business – or actually, excuse me, the Vikings take care of business at the Giants. Um, finally, Kirk Cousins throws some touchdowns, but you see Stephon Diggs asked if he was traded – in the post-game interview if he wanted to be traded in the post-game interview and he said no but then winked so a lot of turmoil in Minnesota and I think that all boils down to Kirk Cousins is not a very good quarterback he's getting 30 million a year guaranteed I think for the next three years Adam Thielen clearly hates him and Stephon Diggs is asking for a trade it's just wild how things quickly changed for Minnesota after the Minnesota miracle when they had Case Keenum and you supposedly get an upgrade in Kirk Cousins, but he obviously is not that. He's terrible against good teams. And Kirk Cousins just kind of sucks. Congratulations on your win against the Giants. The Vikings, we we're talking about the NFC playoff race. I just don't see it. I know they're 3-2 and two and they're still in it, but unless Kirk Cousins all of a sudden can be a good football player, which we really have no evidence of this season, I like... I mean, is Detroit might be better than them. I mean, Detroit was on a bye this week, but that's a big question that I've been tossing around with some of my friends is, are the Lions legit? If they didn't have that weird fluky tie where they choked in the fourth quarter to the Cardinals in week one, they'd be 3-1. and one. I mean, huge wins against the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers, you can, you can expect that. But also the Eagles, and then they took the Chiefs tight. So the Lions might be legit. So, I mean, again, the NFC playoff race is going to be very interesting. Um, going down the line, Ravens-Steelers, what a game. If you had money on the Ravens that game, you must be feeling amazing because you have the overtime, the comeback. I mean, the Ravens just were trying to give that game away. And credit to the Steelers, Mason Rudolph goes out, and Craig Hodges, I believe is the backup quarterback's name, he came in and shredded the Ravens' defense. I mean, the Ravens' defense is not what people think it is. It is a very bad defense. And Lamar Jackson just did not look good. Kind of looked like last year Lamar, which is going to raise some questions. But I think the Ravens are really overrated because their wins early in the season, I think they, they beat the Dolphins. and I, It might have been the Redskins or someone else. I could be forgetting. But not impressive since then. The Chiefs game, the, the score made it, seem close, or made it seem closer than it was because I thought that was a blowout, really, and they got some garbage time points. So... The Ravens, I after two weeks, I stupidly fell for it. But even though they win this week against the Steelers, I think the Browns have to be feeling pretty good about their chances in that division because the Ravens aren't the juggernaut that some people, kind of including myself, thought they might be this year. Um, Pats take care of business against the Redskins. Uh, Jay Gruden gets fired. Saw this coming. I mean, it's just the Redskins just are terrible. And I think it's good to get rid of him, but... They have a lot of questions to answer. That team is, I mean, you got five teams right now that are just so bad. You have the Bengals, you have the Dolphins, you have the Redskins, and you have the Jets. You can kind of include the Cardinals in it, but the Cardinals getting that win against the Bengals maybe elevates them out of it, but they are still god-awful. Um, Jags-Panthers, what a game. Christian McCaffrey solidifying his case, I think, is the best running back in the NFL this season. Had some, I think he had over 200 all-purpose yards, 170-something rushing. Had some filthy jukes. 
Um, he's playing unbelievable. Minshew, on the other hand, my guy, he played really well. They fought. Um, just a little too many penalties on the Jags side, and they really need to figure that out because it seemed like any time they got something going, a good play, they would just shoot themselves in the foot with another penalty, especially Miles Jack. Miles Jack just seems so angry. I know he just got paid, but, man, he is just pissed off this year. And, again, no Ramsey for the Jags, so maybe that changes things a little. But Kyle Allen, besides from the fumbling, he looks pretty good. He, again, I mean, if you're the Panthers and you're seeing Kyle Allen take you on, I believe it's a three-game winning streak now. What is the rush to bring Cam Newton back? Because he did not look. No disrespect to Cam, he just seemed injured. Kyle Allen is um, playing at a high level, and I don't see why you would change it up at this point. Um, looking at some other stuff. Broncos, Chargers, Ugh. the fucking Chargers. I'm going to go on a little rant here because I'm so fucking pissed off about this. The Broncos tried to give the Chargers that game. They scored 17 points in the first half. The Chargers looked god-awful all game. I haven't seen Phillip Rivers play that bad in so long. The offensive line, I mean, Von Miller looked like vintage Von Miller yesterday, and I know he's still really good, but Phillip Rivers had no time, and in, it was just no chance on any play for them. And even though they were playing so bad, they could have won this game. You get the pick six, or I mean, not the pick six, the punt return from King, huge play, and they don't score an offensive touchdown. It, there's so many, like, in the end of the second quarter, they have a chance to get points on the board, and they go for it, and instead of running it up the middle or passing it on that fourth down, you're going to run a sweep? And of course you're going to get blocked because the Denver defense is fucking fast as shit. Like, what the fuck are you thinking, Anthony Lynn? It's just incredibly frustrating. And so you go into the third quarter. And another thing I noticed this game, it's great to have Melvin Gordon back. It's great. He's a good player. But what the fuck are the, is the play calling with him? Austin Eckler has been going off all year because they've been creative in how they've been using him. They've been doing misdirections. They've been top pitches. They've been really creative instead of just when it's an obvious running play, just running it straight up in the middle into a nine-man box. And so what does Anthony Lynn do? He gets Melvin Gordon back, who's theoretically better than Austin Eckler, and just loses all creativity. He's like, oh, we have a good running back now. Let's lose that. So what's he do? He just fucking runs Melvin Gordon every single time straight up the middle, and you get nothing, obviously, because everyone knows you're running. It's just maddening how this man is the coach of this team still and how he was fucking considered for coach of the year last year. He's terrible. And the worst part... Okay, so the Chargers... All, after punting, and the Broncos are just begging them to take the game. They're like, please, Anthony Lynn, we don't want to win this game. We want to stay winless. They they, they wanted to go 0-5. Maybe they're trying to go 0-16. Maybe they're tanking because they were giving this game to the Chargers. And so the Chargers have about 50 seconds left, and they're in field goal range, and they have one timeout. And instead of kicking the calling the timeout, saving 50 seconds, and kicking the field goal, they run the clock down to 10 seconds to save the timeout for some reason, kick the field goal, and then do the onside. And of course they don't get the onside, but why the fuck did you save the timeout? There was 10 seconds left. Are you going to throw a 70-yard pass in 6 seconds and then call the timeout? No. It was the dumbest thing ever. You only save the timeout if you score the touchdown and you need it to set up the field goal. And I'm just a fucking idiot who's sitting on my couch with my friends watching this game. And if I can be seeing this shit, what the fuck is Anthony Lynn thinking? They're just wasting Philip Rivers' career. I know he played bad. But this is just so dumb. They shoot themselves in the foot every week. Every week. 
the Broncos. I knew the Broncos would beat the Chargers this year, even though the Broncos suck. I know the Chargers have a lot of injuries. But can we throw the ball down the field instead of behind us every single time? Like, I swear to God, every time he threw it to Austin Eckler, it was like five yards behind the line of scrimmage. You're supposed to move the ball forward. And you know what happens after the Chargers lose is you watch the fucking Chiefs-Colts, and even though that wasn't a good offensive game, they still throw the ball forward. It's wild. The Chargers fucking suck. I'm so pissed off. Well, um, sorry about that. Chargers ran over. Um, let's talk about the Packers-Cowboys here. Um, the Packers take care of business against the Cowboys. The Packers aren't closing games well, but, I mean, they closed it. But they've had a couple games this year. I think it was against the Vikings as well. But they got those big leads and really can't score that much in the second half. So that's something to think about. Um, but they have Aaron Rodgers, so you like to, you have to like their chances in close games. But then again, looking at the stats, it's not looking good for them in the second half of the games this year. Um, and then you got the Colts-Chiefs. What a game. I lost so much goddamn money on this game. Um, and the Colts, credit to them. After a bad loss against the Raiders last week, they didn't have a T.Y. Hilton, so their offense looked considerably worse. And I think Marlon Mack was, he only played for like a quarter and a half last week, and he looked fantastic tonight. The Chiefs looked bad. The Chiefs made a bunch of dumb decisions, I thought. The fourth and one call in the fourth quarter, I totally agree going for it. You have Patrick Mahomes. What are you doing running it up the middle? There's nine men in the box. Let Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL, throw the ball. I know he had the ankle injury, but... You still have a better shot, I think, with Mahomes. So that was frustrating. Um, but other than that, I mean, the fucking Chargers, of course, the Chiefs lose. They get a chance to move up, but the Chargers lose, and the Chiefs lose to a team that's probably going to be in the wild card race with the Chargers. You just can't. It's it's so predictable every year. Um, just tough times for the San Diego Chargers. Fuck L.A. Um well, that is our NFL Week 5 recap, an angry one. But, you know, it was a re I got to say, I sounded angry, but I had a great time watching these games. I thought um, the morning slate, you had a little too many games. I wish we had more in the afternoon. That's a, that's a subject for another pod, though. But a lot of, I had like seven games within ten or within a touchdown um, with like, it was like 1245 or something, and we had like seven screens on all games within seven points. So you got to love that. Football's the best. Watching football for... 48 straight hours on the weekend in fall is just, there's really nothing better. So looking forward to continuing to do that. Um, next week, I will be joined probably by Big Dog or Dustin or someone else to talk about these games. But I wanted to get one out this Monday because none of them were available. But uh, exciting week. Uh, tonight, I'm looking at the 49ers to beat the Browns. Um, not a lock. I just, I, I like the Niners in this game. I think they have some rest. I think Kyle Shanahan's a much better coach than Freddie Kitchens. And I think that Jimmy G could have a game. Um, the Browns' secondary has been banged up all season. I know they have a couple of the guys back, but it's not fully back. Maybe Jimmy G shows us why he got that contract. I mean, his, he had a huge injury. Some people call it like a two-year injury. So he's still getting back into the flow of things. Kyle Shanahan has a complex offense. So this could be a big game for the 49ers. Or again, it could maybe show us that the 49ers aren't that real. So we got to wait to see. Um, thank you. We're listening. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to break down a battle. Yes, that's right. A battle with our resident historian, my dad. Um, thank you for listening to the Pineapple Couch, and we'll be right back. Welcome to the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. I am B-Rob, and we're introducing a new segment. 
It's going to be the battle of the week where we're going to talk to our historian, a resident historian, my dad, Jeff. And we're going to break down a battle each week throughout history. So you could have one that's going to be in the 1800s like today, but you could also have some in the 900s, potentially B.C. We'll see what we do. Um, Jeff, thank you for coming on. Dad, um, how you doing? Uh, great. Thank you for having me. I love history. I hope more people become interested in it. So what are we going to be talking about today? Well, today I thought I would start our series with the Battle of Chancellorsville during the American Civil War. And so um, could you set the scene for us where we are in the war at this time for this battle and maybe uh, talk about where each side is at coming into the battle? Well, we're in the first half of 1863, and we're talking about the Eastern Theater of Operations where the Army of the Potomac has been battling with the Army of Northern Virginia for the past two years. And really quickly, the Army of the Potomac is the Union? Yes, and the Army of Northern Virginia is the Confederacy. Okay. These are branches or individual armies within the overall Union and Confederate conflict. There are other armies, but the two confronting each other today are the Army of the Potomac and the Army of the of Northern Virginia. Okay, and what are the sizes of those armies, like a, an estimate? Once they get to the battle itself, uh, the Confederate Army is outnumbered almost two to one. The Union has approximately 130,000 men present for arms, whereas the Confederates have approximately 60,000. Okay, so can you set the scene for like what happens in the weeks, months coming up to this battle? What causes it? Lay the foundation for us. The Army of the Potomac has been a miserable failure up to this point. They have they went into the war extremely confident, thinking the war would last maybe a month. They were quickly disabused of that notion. They suffered defeats at the Battle of First Bull Run, Fredericksburg, the Second Battle of Bull Run and their morale is at rock bottom. They have recently replaced Ambrose Burnside with Joe Hooker to lead the Union Army. Hooker has a reputation as a fighter. His nickname, in fact, is Fighting Joe Hooker. The way he got that nickname was he sent a telegram to Washington, D.C., where they wanted to know what he was up to, and he said his one-word response was Fighting Joe Hooker. So people he's took that and made him fighting Joe Hooker. Big, bushy mustache, very dramatic character, very popular with the ladies. In fact, there are rumors, it's hard to pin down, that the today's term Hooker comes from the esprit de camp at Joseph Hooker's Army of the Potomac. Oh, wow. You learn something new every day. Um, and so coming up to this battle, you have Hooker who's replacing... Burnside. Burnside in the Potomac Forces. Potomac. As the head of the Army of the Potomac, Burnside has just gotten his rear handed to him at the Second Battle of Bull Run by Stonewall Jackson in an absolutely humiliating defeat. Hooker has come in to try to rebuild morale and get the Army of the Potomac back on its feet. He does a good job of that. He trains them, gets them into fighting shape, and heads south to confront Robert E. Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia. So is this 
this might be a dumb question, but is this one of the first times the Union really starts to take the threat of the Confederacy seriously? No. Is Hooker one of those guys, though, like, compared to the previous? By this time, the Army has already suffered the defeat at the Battle of Fredericksburg, which was a bloodbath. The bloodiest battle in the entire Civil War, the bloodiest single day, was the Battle of Antietam, which has already taken place. But that was in Northern Territory. This is a this campaign is a continuation of the con the Union efforts to capture the Confederate capital of Richmond, and in between the Army of the Potomac and Richmond stands Robert E. Lee and the Army of Northern Virginia. And so that's when they come to a head for Chancellorville. Yes, uh, Ho Hooker heads south towards Richmond. Okay about 130,000 men. Mm -hmm. He confronts, he runs into Robert E. Lee, who has positioned his army at the same place where they destroyed the Union Army the previous winter, Mary's Heights in Fredericksburg. Hooker sends a detachment to hold that portion of that army in place and sends the bulk of his army eastward or excuse me, westward, to cross the Rappahannock River and get behind Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia. And that is how the armies are poised when this battle really breaks out in the ver few first few days of May 1863. And so Hooker plays his hand, and how does Robert E. Lee respond? What's the Confederacy strategy going forward? Hooker expects that once he gets on Robert E. Lee's flank, that Lee will retreat toward Richmond. Lee violates almost every rule of military command and divides his army, leaves a small detachment in Fredericksburg to confront the Union, and takes about 80% of his army and heads west to confront Joseph Hooker in a wilderness-like area where the small little, it's really like a, 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 a townhouse or a gathering place in the wilderness called Chancellorsville. Mm -hmm. And there's a, like I'm looking at a map of it right now and I'm seeing there's a bunch of rivers in the area. The um, big river is the Rappahannock River. Mm -hmm. Rivers were largely the defensive boundaries in the Eastern Theater, well, even in the Western Theater in the Civil War. And crossing rivers is when armies were most vulnerable. Okay. And so, Lee, it sounds like you're criticizing him. Did he fuck up? Is this a huge fuck up by Lee, sending, dividing his troops like he did? Like, well, how's that going to hurt him? Let's, let's get let's, into it. Let's see what happens and, and where you come up on that. Uh, so, as the battle is staged to begin, you have... Hooker across the Rappahannock River in Lee's rear. Lee has detached a large portion of his army to confront that. Hooker is not expecting that. He's expecting Lee to retreat or fight the, the army in front of him in Fredericksburg. Because Hooker thinks that Lee's priority is protecting Richmond. Correct. Which it probably was. But it was, yes. But how you do that is where Lee was unique. Okay, okay. Lee took risks. Lee was 
they called him audacious in the the language of the 19th century and so he did unexpected things hooker had a moment of truth in the wilderness where had he reacted quickly and recognized the situation and stormed lee's rear lee may have had to retreat but hooker froze in the wilderness and took defensive positions and tried to force lee to attack him lee this is where lee gets a large part of his legend lee divides his army again so now you got three or four you have a small detachment of troops in Fed fredericksburg okay you have about 80 percent of lee's army in the wilderness where hooker is confronting hooker the okay. two armies are just yeah. coming into contact lee is outnumbered dramatically and lee determines that the right flank meaning the western flank of joseph hooker's is what's called up in the air meaning it does not have an anchor on its side like a hill or a river or something to provide you security to know that you're not going to get run over by an army from that direction. It's like the Achilles heel of Hooker's army at this point, like the weak spot. And it was his weakest troops. They were put out there in the middle of nowhere for a reason. They were largely Eastern European immigrant troops, many of whom spoke different languages, had a totally incompetent commander named Franz Siegel, and they were basically out there, like, cooking, hanging out in camp. Left to die. Well, they didn't well, think they were going to be attacked, but... They, that Sounds was kind like of the last thing on their minds. They yeah. thought they were removed from the battle and were kind of just waiting. Mm -hmm. So this is where it gets good from a historical perspective. Robert E. Lee divides his army again. He takes Stonewall Jackson and asks him, they meet. He says, what do you think we should do? And Stonewall Jackson says, I'm going to move around his right flank. And Lee asks him, how many people are you going to take? And Stonewall Jackson says, my entire corps. And he takes all of his men and he marches them. How many is that? I don't, I would estimate about 20,000, okay. maybe 15, somewhere in that range. His entire command. And he f finds a road that the locals turn him on to because mm -hmm. we're in Confederate territory. And he marches his army 12 miles entirely around the right flank of the Union Army, while Lee uses his now twice-divided army to make a bunch of noise and try to hold Hooker in place. And again, Hooker is frozen. Had Hooker known what was going on, the right move would have been to take all of his forces and slam them into Lee. Yeah, act decisively, but he's right. just sitting there like a scared little bitch. Well, I think he thought Lee was retreating. And, and he, this was his first command of an overall army. And one thing Joe Hooker wasn't was a coward. He was inexperienced and froze is all, all I can think of. He received a number of reports of Stonewall Jackson's army. He didn't know it was Stonewall Jackson's army moving around his flank, but said, oh, they must be retreating and didn't really do anything to protect himself other than issue a warning to General Oliver Howard, who was one of the guys out there on that flank. 
So Stonewall Jackson gets around the flank. It's now late afternoon. He lines his army up, and he starts marching toward the right flank of the Union Army. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the Union Army are sitting in their camps, and they notice all these animals, rabbits, deer, anything that was in the woods came running toward them. Like they were being chased and by And the something. next thing they heard was the rebel yell, a high-pitched scream. Mm-hmm. And the Confederate Army ran through the right flank of no the horses? Union Army. It was, I'm sure there were some horses. This was not a cavalry attack. This was an attack by an army. So you had lines of, of riflemen charging. Just going through. And they overran the camp. They were not able to defend themselves. Pretty easily? Very easily in the beginning. And what the fear is from the defense perspective is that Stonewall Jackson would do what's called roll up his flank. Just hit the next army in the side and the next army in the side. Because you have to understand that it's a big deal what direction you point your army in. Mm-hmm. And moving it to face a new direction isn't just like you turning from one side to the next. It's a process. And so Stonewall Jackson slammed into that flank, rolled up the army, and sent them into pell-mell retreat. So Hooker ordered his army in Fredericksburg, he was chaos, to attack where Mary's Heights back in Fredericksburg. And, and Lee sent some guys there, though. Lee was in still holding off the bulk of Hooker's force in the wilderness east of, of Fredericksburg, near Chancellorsville. And so they had success. There was a very small detachment of okay. Confederate troops there. But because of the chaos Stonewall Jackson created and the massive damage he was inflicting... Lee was able to rush back to Fredericksburg and repel the Union Army and send them back across the river. And is that the end of the battle? The next day was extremely bloody as the armies fought to... The Confederates tried to annihilate what was left of the Union Army on that side of the river. Did they feel like this was like their chance in a way? like this was their perfect battle they were outnumbered two to one they divided their army twice in the face of the enemy and they defeated them but But is this uh, sorry to interrupt but like at this point in the war does the confederacy like they're obviously still underdogs but they've had some wins as you've mentioned is this is there a part of them that's like we need to capitalize this and go 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 because they can't win a long war or what do you think this is the high watermark of the confederacy Two peaking. months after this battle is Gettysburg. And that's it. It's not it. There's but still it's two the more years blow of to the war, but they never go on the offense again mm-hmm. after that. And Robert E. Lee came to believe that his army was invincible. Because of this. Well, and the, the combination. Antietam. And the, well, Antietam was a Confederate defeat. But after Bull Run, the second Bull Run and, and 1863 and those other events in Chancellorsville... Lee came to believe that his army was invincible. I mean, I'm mean, exaggerating to a degree, but he, the morale of the Confed- Army of Northern Virginia was, was through the roof after the Battle of Chancellorsville. Like, they didn't really care how big your army was. They were going to come take you down in that sort of way. Like They, they thought they the, the Union numbers, Army was an incompetent group of cowards that could be easily defeated whenever they felt like it. Interesting. Um, and so... Which, they were wrong on that, by yeah. the way. <laughs> Obviously. Um, so I guess we're going to go through a couple things because we kind of broke down the majority of the battle. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. 
Um, and you've already touched on most of these, but let's just so we can get an official answer. Who would you say the MVP of this battle is? Is it Stonewall? Without doubt, it's Stonewall Jackson. But what you the most important maybe of the part of this battle was after Stonewall's flanking movement, he and a group of officers moved toward the front line to figure out what was going on and were misidentified by some of their own troops and Stonewall Jackson was shot in the left arm and he had to have his left arm amputated and that wound became uh, infected and he died a few weeks later and that was the end of Stonewall Jackson. Which is obviously a huge hit to the Confederacy because he's a great ge- isn't he the second in command to Lee at this point? He's certainly Lee's most trusted general. Um, when Robert E. Lee was told of his death, he said, well, was told of his amputation. Um, Lee said that Jackson may have lost his left arm, but Lee had lost his right arm, meaning Jackson. Dang. He's a legend, obviously. Mm-hmm. In the South and the Confederacy, you don't get two bigger bigger guys than Lee and Jackson. Okay, and so... I mean, I guess I was going to ask you what gnarly shit happened, but I mean, fucking Stonewall Jackson getting shot and... By his own troops. And dying weeks later. I mean, that might have just swung the war right there. Sadly, the guy who... It's not all that clear, but... The guy... It appears to be that the guy who, who shot him never recovered from his... Grief? Blame... Uh-oh. You know, blaming himself for for what had happened because mm, it was, sounds like it was an honest mistake. It, certainly, there was no intention. Yeah. I mean, Stonewall Jackson was beloved by his troops. Okay. Um, so quickly though, the aftermath of the war is that, or the battle is that, uh, the army of Northern, uh, the army of the Potomac retreats back toward the defenses of Washington D.C. and Robert E. Lee begins to get into. Uh, a position to conduct offensive operations heads across the Potomac River into uh, Maryland and Pennsylvania where he ultimately meets the Union Army again at a small little college town called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania where about seven different roads come together but that's another story yeah we'll get to that another time Um, I have a couple more questions before we wrap it up thanks again for doing this who fucked up? Was it the 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 freezing by Hooker? Is that the single? Is that why they lost? Is that what you would pinpoint it as? It was Hooker's failure to take decisive action at the most critical moments, whereas Robert E. Lee did exactly the opposite. He took decisive action at the most critical moments. Robert E. Lee sounds like a gambling man in a way. He took some risk, but did he? He, he in a way kind of had to take those risks to be for what he was up against, right? My opinion is that Robert E. Lee may be the best defensive general in the history of the country, but if you look at his record in offensive operations, primarily at Antietam and Gettysburg, there's a lot to criticize. Okay. Um, And then we'll just wrap it up with, this is the first time we've ever done a segment like this. Why did you choose this specific battle? I'm very interested in the Civil War. I think it had a lot of colorful characters, dramatic incidents, and I think if you really want to understand the United States and where we are now, it's hard to do so without 
a real understanding of what happened in the Civil War because we still live with a lot of its aftermath. Very true. Um, Dad, thank you for coming on. Next thank you week, for having me. We'll do another battle, and we'll also do some college football slash NFL because we're recording this at a weird time. But thank you for coming on, and uh, this is the Pineapple Couch. <laughs>